Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. That is a quote from the opening paragraph of Pope Benedict XVI's first encyclical letter. So the very first thing that Pope Benedict put out after he became the Holy Father in 2005 was a letter entitled Deus Caritas Est, which translates to God is love. Now, I don't know if you know a whole lot about Pope Benedict XVI, but he, you know, before he became the Holy Father, before he became, as he is now, Pope Emeritus Benedict, was Joseph Ratzinger, probably one of the most important, uh, most written, like he wrote so much, libraries worth of books on the faith. In my opinion, in many opinions, uh, probably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th, the 21st century. I mean, so important in so many ways. Wrote many, many things about the deep mysteries of the church. And then in 2005, when he took over, you know, the chair of St. Peter after John Paul II passed away, this great theologian puts out as his first document, God is love. And I remember hearing some just, you know, I was in seminary at the time, and hearing some different priests and theologians, as people who have devoted their lives to the study of theology, kind of lamenting the fact that here he is, like their superhero, so to speak, this guy who's written so much, and the very first thing he decides to write on is that God is love. And they're thinking, thanks so much, Holy Father. You know, wow, it's a big revelation. But at the same time, I would say... It's such an important thing that we can easily overlook it, right? That God is love, something that we have to be reminded of time and time again. And I think Pope Benedict XVI was really wise in starting off on a really strong foot. Let me read that quote to you one more time. Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. I mean, what he's saying here is that what we do, okay, when we come here together on Sunday Mass, we're together again, right? It's so good to be together on another Sunday. But we're not here, you know, just because we follow a particular ethical code. We're not here just as members of a club, you know. It's not just something culturally that we do. It's not just that kind of a a choice or just something we belong What we're here for is an encounter with a person, with the divine person, with Jesus Christ himself. And when you look at the encounter in the gospel today and the way that we continue to encounter him now, it's amazing to think about the way that God, who is love, chooses to interact with you and me. Look at this gospel. And when you see just at the very beginning that, yes, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, they're coming in, And then, of course, what's going to happen next is prompted by the fact that you've got grumbling Pharisees and scribes, these people who followed the law, who followed the ethical code, who are grumbling about the fact of these other ones coming in. Now, think about this. How does Jesus respond? You know, he doesn't just, like, lay down a quick rebuke. He doesn't say, you know, you need to follow along here in a better way. He doesn't, like, smack them upside the head as I think many of us may be tempted to do. No, what does he do? He tells three stories, right? And three stories 
that I think at this point, you know, in, in being a Christian and having that encounter, we all know so well, right? I mean, I think if there was such a thing as Jesus's greatest hits, I think the prodigal son would probably be right at the top of the charts, right? And it's one of those things I think there's a danger that when the deacon got into the longer form of the gospel today, for those of you who are reading along, it's like, yeah, I know this one. You know, it's like we all know the story of the prodigal son so well, right? We know what's coming next. It's like, okay, here comes the younger son. He's going to be that guy once again and essentially say to the father, I wish you were dead. Give me all that's coming to me, right? I mean, that's essentially what's going on. He goes, he loses it, he comes back. You got the grumbling older son. All of these things happen. It's so easy, I think, to hear that and say, yeah, I know that one. But the thing is, when you think about the fact that this is God himself and the way that he responds to hard-heartedness and grumbling is to give us these three stories that all deal with something or someone that's beloved is lost. The person who does the loving, not giving up hope, going out there until what is lost is found, and then what? What's the common theme in all three? Rejoicing. A lot of rejoicing. And the thing is, as you look at all of these stories, it doesn't make any practical sense, right? I mean, okay, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one would not leave the 99? I know we have some farmers here, right? Now, it's not practical, is it? Like, I don't have pets. But, you know, let's just say I had five dogs and one of them ran away. But like, yeah, you know, I got four more at home, right? Now, my sister has five kids. One of them ran away on a cruise once. I'm like, Katie, you got four more. No, I'm just kidding. I would never say that. But, you know, when you look at this, it's not practical, right? It doesn't make any sense. But God loves us that much. He's going after us completely. He's going to go after the lost. You look at the woman with the lost coin. She turns the whole house upside down to find the, a coin, which, according to Bishop Barron on his homily this week, he said it's essentially about worth a nickel. Now, I've seen other things. Maybe it's a day's wage. All these, But it's not like she lost her entire fortune. And what does she do when she finds it? Hey, everybody, come over to my house and celebrate. I found a nickel. You know, think about that. And then finally, with the father, what he does in going out there and running after the son, never giving up, looking out there after him, having that compassion, having that will to run out to him, having that will, even with that grumbling older son, to go out to him. These things don't make sense from the point of view of a, you know, a father that has that honor and essentially lays it to the side out of love for his children, out of love for the lost. These things don't make practical sense. But frankly, folks, neither does our faith. Jesus Christ becoming one of us. As St. Paul said in his letter to Timothy, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. When you think about what God has done for us, the very fact that we get to come together once again on a Sunday and encounter Jesus Christ himself, who came into the world to save sinners, not just with a disembodied code, not just with, you know, just some letter from afar, but with his very self, with his absolute love, and wants to tell us about us in countless ways, painting these beautiful pictures of, look, I love you this much. If you end up lost, I'm not going to give up looking for you. I will say, the thing for all of us to remember is that he's not going to hit us over the head and drag us home, right? Our free will 
is still very much a part of this. When the younger son says, I wish you were dead, give me your money, I'm going away, he lets him do it. When that older son essentially says, I think of you as a slave driver, not as my father. Notice he never calls him father. He also says, your son, not my brother. God allows it for whatever reason and yet continues to love them. Doesn't hit him over the head and drag him into the joy. We've got to allow ourselves to be found. But here's the amazing gift. He keeps going after us. I'll tell you just two things sacramentally that I think are probably the biggest perks of being a priest. One is getting to be in the confessional. And I'll tell you, I think there are times that I get to sort of hear the heavenly joy. As Jesus said, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who have no need of repentance. How many times do I get to say those amazing words of absolution and almost hear the angels in heaven say, he's back. It's wonderful. It's a glorious thing. And then the greatest thing I get to do every single day is say those beautiful words of consecration over the bread that becomes the body of the one who's telling us these stories, over the wine that becomes the blood of the very one who gives us these words. Notice in the first section, it ends with the word you. This is my body which will be given up for you. And of course the second part, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. You and me. This is about an encounter with a God who loves us so much. He's not going to hit us over the head and drag us home. He's going to strive to woo us over, to bring us back into that eternal joy that lasts forever. Not the false joy of the stupid calf in the desert and all of that reverie, you know, as we hear Charlton Heston say on the mountain, right? We know about all of that. It ends in sorrow and sadness. Rather, the true joy of the one who comes to encounter you, who wants you to come to him, who wants you to love him, who is crazy in love with you, coming after you, no matter where you've ended up, and doesn't give up, keeps going after us, invites you in. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I would recommend today, on this Sunday, you know, as we always strive, I hope, you know, to keep the Sabbath holy, I would recommend, maybe today, you know, shutting off the computer, shutting off the phone, I know it's football season again, but shutting off the TV, and opening up your Bible to Luke chapter 15, which we just heard our wonderful deacon read the entirety of, right? This wonderful section of the gospel with these three parables of the lost. Read through it again. Ask our Lord to help you to know that fact that he's so in love with you, keeps coming after you, wants to encounter you totally, knows that there are difficulties, knows that there's struggles out there, but at the bedrock of it all is his love for us, that fact that we can have an encounter with a person, with the divine person, with the second person of the most holy trinity who loves us enough to give us these stories, that give us a glimpse into the image of the love of God. Ask him for that grace to be open to it. Ask him for the grace to know what he's saying to you about coming after you. All of us who find ourselves so often lost, sit down with these stories. Spend some time reading over them. And then, as we strive to know more and more about the love of God, ask him for the grace to respond in the way 
that will lead us to eternal joy. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.